Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Zelwyn Heidi, here today with David Bukes, and we're going to be talking about, what do you want to call it, David? Lectio, continua preaching, preaching yeah. on whole books, whatever you want to call it, right? Midweek specials. Midweek specials. I love it. No, it, it should be a good time, but it would be remiss of, of me to not ask, how is the weather out in your part of the world right now? It's a, it's a transitional time in central Minnesota. We had some snow on Sunday. We've had a, a, an unseasonably cold uh, spring, but now we've got a forecast of 70 degrees this Sunday. It's raining today, so I expect by next week things are going to be green, and that's great. It, great. It's, a, it's, just, it's just a wonderful time. Things are things are beginning anew, and there's lots of work to do, so it's good. Well, there's indeed a lot of work to do, I'm, and I promise I'm not trying to one-up you here with this by <laughs> any means, but my experience of late has been kind of wild. Uh, North Dakota, I don't know if you, if our listeners pay attention to the Weather Channel or not. North Dakota had a major snowstorm during Holy Week. Some parts of this state received upwards of two to three feet of snow on like Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday, something like that. Personally, around here, we got a foot and a half and it's not gone yet. So uh, we also had snow on Easter Sunday itself, got a couple inches early in the morning. And I think we're even predicted to get another snowstorm this coming weekend. So things are just kind of nuts right now in North Dakota. Yeah, you know, you know, one upping would have been like, oh, we got snow on Easter Monday. But this is like, I mean, this is sit down and, and be quiet, little boy. That's what you that's what you just said to me. <laughs> and again, I'm not I'm not trying to like compare anything here. I just this is this is what's happening right now in North Dakota. It's kind of nuts. It's just, it's just so. how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it has been a little bit difficult for the the ranchers, especially because this is, of course, calving season. And I know that there's been ranchers who have probably lost calves already because of it, but on the other hand, we desperately needed the amount of moisture that we're going to get out of this. So there is something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it is something helpful, uh, you know, to remember last year, that's always very valuable. Um, but then also to think, you know, sometimes things don't work as well as they should, or things get pushed back, planting gets pushed back, you know, the emergence of pasture gets pushed back, but it, it's still, you know, there's still the summer ahead. And so uh, God provides, it'll be good. Exactly. Well, and I do remember, too, one of the, the members around here mentioned there was a similar snowstorm about the same time of year, 25 years ago. And I I, point, I like to point out that, you know, God brought you through that. Right. <laughs> He's going to bring you through this one, too. All good stuff. But we're here today to talk about a different style of preaching than perhaps as we're used to in uh, Lutheran circles, especially. I'm not saying it's unknown, but we do typically gravitate towards more, you know, lectionary type preaching, that sort of thing. But what do we mean, David, when we when we talk about something like Lectio Continua? What does it mean and how do, what does that kind of preaching look like? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the, worst, the word, use of the word continua there says, says what it means. It's um, continuous from one pericope to the next. Um, so taking a book, any book of the Bible, really, and uh, starting at the beginning. And working your way through to the end, you know, in in I suppose greater or smaller chunks. For for me, it ends up being often less than a chapter at a time. You know, a portion, a third, maybe of a chapter at a time. What's you know, depending on what's digestible. But you preach one week on one section and then move on to the next the next week. Sure. And you you say that you know in your experience. So I mean, you you preach this way. I mean, can you talk about your own experience with that? Yeah. So just this last fall, starting in September. 
we have had historically a, a midweek a Wednesday evening service here at our church, which was designed originally to serve folks who might be away on the weekend. But I was interested in doing something a little bit different rather than rather than simply repeating what I'd done on Sunday morning. And so I began this fall with the book of Philippians, started in September on Wednesday evenings with Philippians. And I spent, it probably was the next two or maybe two and a half, up, up until Advent, uh, preaching through the book of Philippians on Wednesday evenings. How many sermons did that end up being, if um, you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it's probably it was probably eight, probably eight or nine, I think, something like nine. that. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that, that's, that's good. That's good. I know I, I also personally have been preaching this way uh, for a while with our midweek services. We actually uh, actually started a midweek service here, partly in connection with confirmation, the hope being that you know kids would be able to attend that as well. But it ended up just being kind of a general thing that we've continued year round. And I mean, we, we get our usual Wednesday crowd and it's, it's a pretty good feeling. But I've, I have also preached through some whole books, like I've preached through First Peter, I've preached through uh, First Thessalonians, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones that I've done so far. Jonah was one of them, I'm pretty sure. We also uh, went through another one of the minor prophets, uh, uh, Malachi. That's what it was. Yeah, the book of Malachi. I mean, what what would you say that your experience is with it in general? I mean, what, what kind of things do you get out of it? So it's incredibly rewarding, even if only for my own personal study, right? So to take... Um, uh, the book of Philippians, for instance, and to extend the study of it over a long period of time. I mean, it, it kind of in, in the way that you might think about it as as preparing for a Bible study, but there's a different sort of timbre when you're preparing to preach because for each pericope, you're thinking about the sense of it and the application of it and how to you know, encapsulate it in really, I mean, a shorter period of time and in less discursive style than I do in a Bible study. So to kind of, to, to think that through for a book of the Bible has been really productive and has been helpful in kind of providing depth to my understanding of the texts. I think that for folks who attend the services, at least this is, this is what the benefit I would find if I was sitting in the congregation is the continuity from one week to the next. So, you know, usually the preaching consists of, well, kind of this is what I said last week, or this is what we've covered so far, and here's where we're picking up again, and here's how the argument or the the, cha- the train of thought progresses. So there's this uh, expectation, this looking forward to what am I going to what I'm going to hear next from Paul on this subject or or whoever it might be. Sure, sure. Well, and I think it's it's especially helpful too by by having a different sermon like this, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But you know, having this continual kind of exposition of a book or something like that. It is also helpful because it gives um, the whole congregation another opportunity to have another worship service, right? It's not that I'm hearing Sunday all over again. I'm hearing something new. Right, right. And I was going to ask you, you know, you, you said you kind of have your usual Wednesday crowd. Do you find mm-hmm. that um, you have uh, a mixture of people who have come on Sunday and come again on Wednesday, folks who are only there on Wednesday? How does that how does that composition look for you? Um, I have a few that are kind of my Wednesday only, but I think that might be work related or something, but I would say at least three quarters, if not more of the Wednesday crowd also regularly attend on Sunday. So they're, they're coming twice a week, which I think is, is great. Is that that your experience too? It has been my experience too. And I, I, um, I'm so thankful for it. I mean, the, the, the fact that there are people who are, who want to hear God's word with 
you know, twice the frequency of, you know, what we would normally ask of parishioners. It's just like, I mean, what a marvel. And I'm, I, this is, it's just wonderful. It, it makes it a delight and not a chore by any stretch of the imagination, you know, to, to show up on a Wednesday evening. It's like, well, great. These people want to hear, these people really want to hear God's word. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that is, that is a great joy that I have found with, with these, with this kind of preaching as well. But let's, let's think about it in terms of, let's start with say the challenges of this kind of preaching. I mean, you've been preaching this way now for at least a few months. What, what has been your experience with the, the struggles that you've had with this kind of preaching? You know, what, what do you find more difficult about it? You know, what is it, do you struggle with anything about this, this way of doing things? Let's, yeah, let's I mean, word it that way. So, so t- it, of course, it's different depending on the kind of book that you're preaching on. Um, so I preached on Philippians, and then I spent some time in Malachi, not quite with the same duration that was for Advent, but then First Thessalonians. And when when I'm going through Paul, um, you know, he, he, he's not thinking about things. He's not like dividing things up in chunks with the design that I'm going to preach on them, right? That's not his goal in writing. And so I'm doing something kind of artificial by, by segmenting it that way. And so there's this risk, uh, this danger that if I don't have enough foresight, I'm going to preach one thing on one pericope. And then the next pericope is going to make that same point, but better than it did in, you know, last week. And I've, I've already like, you know, <laughs> I've already uh, burnt all my powder on that one, you know? So it's like, uh, uh, that's, a, that's one of the risks is, but it's also a challenge, you know, to, to keep in view the whole, flow of the argument and not lose sight of that, you know, to see where Paul is going or to, where whoever is going and to, to try and track that the whole time and not just be redundant. You know, with Philippians, I was joking with you about this earlier, but the, with Philippians, it's like, you know, after you've been preaching on it for several weeks, you you just get sick of saying the word joy. But, but, <laughs> but then again, like there's this rhetorical point that Paul is kind of compelling you to make, which is like, no, no, I'm, I'm really serious about this joy. And why is it so difficult for you to be joyful? You know, let's, let's figure this out. So um, it's both a challenge, but also a great opportunity there. Yeah. And kind of related to that, one of the things that I found to be rather difficult is to actually know where to make your breaks, like, you know, where to create your own pericopes. I I recognize with like a lectionary, this is kind of already done and we just kind of go with what's given, which has its advantages. And we'll talk about that probably in the next segment, but when you are preaching this continu- continuous kind of style, this you know continuous exposition, you have to decide: okay, am I going to actually stop here? Am I going to stop here? And like, well, I'll take give you an example of this. I'm currently working on the Book of Romans, and probably will be for the next twenty years of my life. I'm kidding, <laughs> but <laughs> Romans being one of those books that just takes a while to get through. I probably took far more time than I care to admit deciding where to break you know, like this week's pericope, was it going to be at verse 12 of chapter two, or is it going to be at verse 17? And just trying to figure out, you know, where does this paragraph fit into the the argument? Where does it, you know, how does it fit? You know, and if I put it here, what would my sermon be? If I put it here, what would my sermon be? And just kind of trying to decide that those kind of divisions can be very challenging for me. Have you, have you had that similar kind of experience? Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I've leaned heavily on, you know, like in my ESV Bible where the paragraphs fall um, to, to help me make those decisions. But also I, I have found a lot of freedom in the fact that, you know, like I can, I can have some overlap, right? So I could, I could preach on these 12 verses this week and next week I can back up and include the last six verses or something like that heading forward. 
so basically that, that's a solution to the problem, right? It is a problem. Right. How do you, how do you divide this up? This thing that was meant to be taken all in one sitting. I, right. I, I, I thought about this, this Lent, I was, I was preaching on prayers of Jesus in the gospels and I, I've always, I'm always struck with the gospel of John, how much it resists division into pericopes. You know, it's like, if, if you're not reading the whole chapter, you're missing something, you know? And so, so I read the whole chapter for chapter 12 and 13 and 17 on a Wednesday evening, which takes, you know, it's like a passion reading. And that was an interesting kind of an experiment, you know, it's like, that's a long pericope and there's a lot there. The, the balance is, uh, can people attend to it for that whole time? The great advantage of is, it, is that if the more text you have, the more you have to work with in preaching, you know, like the easier it is to, right. to kind of, you're not, you're not hitting the ground running. If you've got a really short pericope, it's like, you got to just, you drop it in and you're going, you know, um, <laughs> Time to so go. the, yeah, right. <laughs> right. But I, but I think that, I mean, it, it, on the one hand it is, I, I think it certainly is one of the challenges of the style of preaching. Like you said, you are hesitant to admit how much time you spent on it. I think maybe uh, the tendency is to to spend more time on it than is warranted, you know? Uh, why not? Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to myself right now, but like, why not just crack open the Bible and just start reading and then, and then preach, you know, and then just go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I know that, you know, sometimes, especially in other denominations and stuff like that, there are people who will preach that way. It's just like, okay, we're going to take this one verse at a time and just kind of go, go, go. But I do. One of the things that I've also kind of struggled with, with this is when you're trying to make those decisions where you're going to divide things, it's like, okay, how specific do I want to be? You know, I mean, cause you could, you could break down one verse and talk about the, the ideas in it and kind of expand on it and really pull in lots of other things. And that's how you might end up preaching on something like Romans for the next 30 years of your life. But how do you balance that with, you know, the desire of the people to, you know, talk about other things too. I mean, so how do you, how do you run that balance between too little and too much? That's also a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is always a kind of a lively challenge. I I encountered this in Bible study. You know, there's this tension between all of the thoughts that get evoked by a single verse in the text and all the questions that arise and also the desire to let's move on and get some fresh material going here. And I mean, this is one of the, one of the, again, the liberties that we have, you know, it's like, if you're not going to stop your Wednesday evening service, you can always preach it next week. You know, there's always, right. there's always another, there's always next week to say it. And, and I, you know, that's another thing I've thought about. I've, I've often thought I should be a little bit more deliberate, uh, probably a lot more deliberate in trying to think about the scope of, of say, of say doctrine that I should be covering in my preaching, as opposed to just being opportunistic based on whatever the, whatever the text is saying, you know, and I think this might be an opportunity to do that, to say, Look, you know, in the book of Philippians, I'm going through here, and here are the here are the doctrines that really are evoked by what Paul is saying. And let me say that of, of those doctrines, these are the ones that I need to spend the most time on. And let me just be a little bit more deliberate about proportioning that out. You know, that might be one one way to resolve the problem. I don't know. It, it feels like it puts me in too much of a box, but then again, that might be a good that might be a good thing for me, I suppose. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is a good way of, of tra- segueing into talking about the benefits of this kind of preaching, because I do find this style of preaching very helpful for approaching topics that are not usually brought up in the lectionary. Even even something with like the three year lectionary, you know, which purports to be a lot more of the scriptures, in which it is, sure. 
it still misses things. I mean, when was the last time, for example, you heard a very thoroughgoing sermon on something like predestination? Right, right. Especially in our circles. Yeah. You just don't. And I'm not saying that that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. But I mean, preaching in this style gives you an opportunity to broach those kinds of subjects, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I thought the same thing. I, I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, we don't get any of the divorce texts in the one year lectionary, which, uh, you yeah. know, so that means that preaching on whatever it is, Epiphany 1 or Epiphany 2 on Ephesians 5, that's that's our like that's our one chance to, to really hit it, you know, and that's not, there's not even explicitly there. So I agree completely. I mean, that is one of the big benefits. Take, take um, any of, any of Paul's letters and you can find, you can find an opportunity to talk about the things that we missed the rest of the rest of the lectionary for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you can even get the really wild stuff, right? Like if you were preaching through like first Corinthians and have to talk about the baptism of the dead, you know, yeah. yeah, that's that's not going to come up in even the three year lectionary. So, right, right, right. <laughs> well, and and that's I mean, it, it, think about the benefit there. I mean, it's it is this great challenge and an opportunity to figure out how to be concise about it. You know, it's one of the hazards, but one of the professional hazards of being a, a pastor is that people expect you to talk. And for in my case, that means that I I just talk and talk and talk around things a lot, you know, and I, and it's very helpful when you're preaching to say, okay, no, I, I have to get to the point about this. And right. if, if this is the one day that I'm going to talk about this thing, baptizing on behalf of the dead, okay, let, let me make sure I know exactly what I'm going to say about it, you know? And have a clear idea in my mind of what right. I, you know, believe this to mean and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I also think that that is also a great benefit. I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, the, the necessity of being clear when you're preaching in this style, that's been a great benefit for me as well, because it just forces you to think through these things. But I mean, what, what other benefits might you think are connected with this, this kind of preaching that you've found in your experience? Yeah. I mean, I think that the benefit of compelling me to keep up my, my diet of reading and studying, aside from preaching twice a week, which requires, you know, much more breathing in than, than breathing out. Also, you know, sort of, sort of thinking continually through one text, you're going to, you're just going to run out of steam if you're not constantly being filled, you know, like it, you, if you just, if you, if at some point you're just trying to rely on your own ingenuity and I've, I mean, I've fallen prey to this plenty of times where it's like, okay, I know, I know what the text says and I can, I can just go, you know, I can figure it, I can figure out what to say, right. but I haven't adequately prepared. It's embarrassing and it's not, God's word is better than that. <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul is better than that. And that it makes that so clear to me, you know, all, all scripture is written for our instruction. And so that means that there's no, there's no little part of this letter that I can just sort of gloss over this text that I can just gloss over, but I need to, I need to give it all the time and the attention that it deserves. And that's, that's really valuable. I think. No, I, I would agree. I mean, when it forces you, for example, to deal with the end of the letter and the greetings and stuff like that, you got to think about, you know, what does this mean? And you got to chew on it. You got to think about it. And yeah, there is a great benefit also for the preacher in this kind of preaching. Yeah. If nothing else, I, I do think one of the things about preaching twice a week, what a uh, big thing that it's taught me is to be very focused as well. You know, because when you're only when you only really have a couple of days to really sit down and really solidly think through your sermon, you've really got to be working ahead for one thing. Yeah. Which is always a good benefit. And also that it just forces you to to think very clearly. 
Because if you're muddled about it, then your sermon's going to come out muddled, right? But when you're thinking clearly, when you're thinking precisely, that is the time when I really think it can be a great benefit for us as well. Yep, I agree. So, all right, with that, we need to go to our first break. So we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. Spoken. I'm Zelwyn Heidi here with David Bukes talking about Lectio Continua preaching. Okay, so David, we left off in the previous section talking about the, the challenges and the benefits of this kind of preaching and why we do it and our personal experiences with it. But our listeners are probably almost immediately going to have the question, well, how does this compare with, say, Sunday morning and the use of the lectionary? So what do we mean by lectionary preaching and how do we want to start talking about that that part of the discussion yeah so i mean with with lectionary preaching you definitely have the sense that you are you are fitting into uh, a schema that has been uh, that has some design to it that somebody else has designed and so there's besides of course studying god's word and and figuring out what the text is saying there's also the sense of like, what is this Sunday about? You know, what am, what am I, right. what is this Sunday meant for? And in some cases that's much clearer than others. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, in, in early in epiphanies, like this is about marriage, you know, we get the wedding at right. Cana and Ephesians five. If you don't say something about marriage, you missed, the, you missed the point. Right. Right. So, th- so there's definitely uh, a sense that somebody else has designed it and, uh, and you, you ought to play along <laughs> with that design. <laughs> And I, I think this is true whether you use the the one year or the three year. I know that the three year has a little bit more of, you could say a more of continua kind of preaching, like sometimes where one Sunday, especially during the, the Pentecost season, as they call it, you know, the, the readings will be one pericope and then the following week will be, you know, immediately after. So you do get a little bit of this kind of preaching, but even with the three year lectionary, you still get this more topical kind of approach to it because for one thing it skips and jumps around too right it's not like you start in advent with matthew 1 and by the time you get to the last sunday of the church year you're reading matthew 28 you know it's not straight through like that it does skip around so what what is it about the the topical nature of lectionary preaching that would make it well, let's just start with say the 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 challenges of it. You know, what is the challenge of that style of preaching? Yeah, I think that doing justice to the texts is often difficult. 
Um, because although although the preacher needs to know the context, right, for the for the lessons on a given Sunday, you have to know the context. There's this sense in which the context is sub subordinate to the topic, and so it's very easy to take it out of context, you know, to to um, to lose sight of the whole the whole narrative or the whole the whole picture. And so to, to make sure that the, the topic doesn't like take on a life of its own. And the way that might look sort of in caricature is that you end up preaching on the, th- on, on the topic without even having to reference the text. You're like, okay, you know, again, back to early epiphany. Oh, it's a, it's a sermon about marriage. Forget about Ephesians five and John two. You know, I can, I can just preach about marriage. Right. Um, right. Which is, which would be unfortunate. And that, I think that that happens easily. You know, this is easy to have this happen on, like major feast days, you know, right, right. Christmas, Christmas and Easter to say, I'm going to preach Christmas and not preach the text. You know, that's an, that's an easy thing to, to have happen. Well, especially since we just came out of Easter, you know, you have like in the one year, for example, you have Job as the Old Testament reading and talking about my Redeemer lives. And if you were to use that as your Easter text, you know, it'd be very easy to kind of start in Job, but end up in I don't know, Matthew or whatever, you know, to end up in some other text, right? Because right. the, the theme has carried you away from the text at hand. Right. Or if you're preaching on 1 Corinthians 5, which is the epistle reading for, for Easter in the one year, and talking about let us celebrate the festival with sincerity and truth, you might just immediately say, oh, well, the festival is clearly talking about today, talking about Easter, and so you just kind of pick up on that and run with it, right? So there is this sense in which, yeah, the, the, the setting of the lectionary, the particular Sunday, the, the topic of the day can take on a life of its own and, and lead you in directions that maybe, I don't, I'm not saying they're unwarranted, but maybe it would lead you away from what you have right in front of you, right? Yeah. And I, I, I guess I wouldn't say that that necessarily is uh, such a, a bad thing. I mean, I've, I've had occasions where to the perplexity of my congregation, um, you know, I'll read an Old Testament lesson for the Sunday, and then I'll talk about a completely different Old Testament lesson from the pulpit because it's, there's a better Old Testament lesson to go with this gospel than the one that I read from the le- from the lectern. Um, and so, it, it, obviously, I'm co- I'm comfortable with that. I think that that's good, I, and I think that we should be free. I mean, we're free. Uh, the whole scripture is at our disposal. What I'm what I'm nervous about is the idea that. I don't that I can just sort of extract the topics from the scripture and not and and lose the scripture. You know, be be, be a systematic systematic theologian and not a biblical theologian when I'm preaching. You know. Now, what what do you mean? What would be the difference with those? Can you? Yeah, can you expand I knew, on I knew that? as soon as I said it that I, I probably was making a <laughs> making a <laughs> distinction without a difference. Um, I mean, I, I so in my mind, uh, the way that I, my propensity has been to always want to. Th- in a negative way to think about think about doctrines as kind of like these ideals floating out there in the ether and that you can once you once you know them you can access them apart from scripture that is a way that we have handled doctrine it's a way that the catechism gets abused you know like if you if you can articulate um the two natures of christ but you don't know where it is in the scripture or what the scripture has to say about it i'm I'm not sure that it's really done you too much good, you know, or I mean, at least, <laughs> at, at least it's, uh, it's there's something deficient about it, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, it, it would be like, if you'd say, I believe that God created the world. And then you ask, okay, where does the Bible talk about creation? Right. Uh, you know, that one's kind of a gimme because we would say like Genesis one and two, but you'd be surprised how many people aren't even aware of that, you know? 
you right. know, it's it's just one of those things where, yeah, the the doctrine itself can be divorced from the scriptures that it's drawn from, and that yeah. can be not very helpful. I think is the best way of putting that. Yeah, I mean, it's one. Of, I I love the questions that we get in in the pastoral care companion examination for prior to prior to communion. Um, the, the questions which are basically like, how do you know this? You know, like, how do you know? And of course, if if you have your wits about you, you know that the answer is always going to be because the Bible told me so. But then, the, but the, like the follow up question is really, I mean, just it, so fruitful and and an invitation to dive into the scriptures. Like, well, yeah, but where? And how does how do you know that that that's what it means and that's what it says? Th- that's what that's what I, th- I mean. That's what preaching really should do. At least, I mean, it, to some degree, right? An invitation for people to to not just have God's word applied to them, but to learn how to apply the scriptures to themselves, right? Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, what what other challenges would you see with lectionary style preaching? I mean, are there any? I mean, especially in your own experience, because I know that both of us, you know, even though we do preach this continuous style in the midweek. We, we are lectionary preachers on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what, what's been your experience with it, especially with its challenges? Yeah, I mean, there will, there will be times when there's some really pressing matter, some, some, th- some issue that's on people's minds or something that we've been talking about, and it's f- so far removed from the lectionary that you can't, you can't really, <laughs> you could squeeze it as hard as you wanted to, and you wouldn't get a drop of it out of the out of the lectionary on Sunday morning. And that is that's a challenge because I think that it makes it so that sometimes your preaching may feel untimely. You know, like if you're if you're saying, well, this is what this is what these texts are about, but that's that's not that's not the thing that's present in people's minds right now, and that's not what we need to be dealing with at the moment. That's one of the challenges, I think. Sure. Yeah, I know. Like, especially if there's been some sort of like local disaster or local tragedy of some kind and it would be entirely appropriate to talk about these things if we're persistent in our use of the lectionary yeah we will be very often hard pressed to you know speak to those things unless like you say we really press it really hard or we just kind of abandon the the lectionary for that week which of course is an option too you're right yeah i mean it sounds it sounds in some ways like the i'm saying that the lectionary is restrictive or burdensome, but I mean, we are free. Like, so it's not, it's not meant to be that way. It's not meant to restrain you like that. But. Sure. Sure. Well, let's, let's put some positive spin on this since we're, we're all about both sides, right? Yeah. Right. What are the, what are the benefits of more lectionary style preaching? Yeah. I think that not being subject to my own caprice in choosing lessons is really <laughs> is a good thing for the church <laughs> for, for not just to be up to my whims. And that includes, you know, choosing hard texts that, you know, we might otherwise want to avoid. That has been really helpful. It's desensitized us, I think, in a good way to hearing things that we that we might grate at otherwise, you know. Like I think is I think it's really good that without fail, we hear wives submit to your husbands every year. I'm I'm stuck on an early epiphany right now. Sorry. That's but okay. uh, <laughs> um, that we that we hear that every year is really good for everybody. And likewise with with so much else uh, in the lectionary. Nobody, nobody gets to say, well, pastor's just on his hobby horse right now, and I don't get to just ride my hobby horse. We instead, we instead follow what somebody else has presented to us. So. Of course, the, the old joke about the one year being that uh, Trinity 9 and the, uh, the, the parable of the unjust steward. I mean, would anybody willingly pick that text? You know what I mean? 
<laughs> yeah, although I mean, now now that having been compelled to think about it so carefully, uh, I, I would. It's, it's such right, a great okay. text, you know. Right? Fair. I'll give you that. But <laughs> I love you know that I mean, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Because that's that's always the one that you know, especially like three year proponents will will come after and say, "Oh, well, you got to preach on that one." It's such a hard text. Like, no, it's it is a great text to be sure. Right. But yeah, it it does. Com- I guess you could say compel you, but I don't know if that's the right word. It does move you to consider these things that you wouldn't otherwise do, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a, a a practice of discipline, I think. Um, it, and I've you know I've thought about I thought about discipline more generally and, and the way that we do things at church and how following a lectionary disciplines all of us because it subdues our flesh. You know, like we're going to want to plug our ears to certain parts of God's word, and we're going to want to highlight or amplify other parts, but we're all agreeing together. Nope, that's not that's not what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to be disciplined um, and and follow along. So, yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, I mean, okay. So, what would be maybe another benefit of of lectionary preaching? Can you think of any others? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the design, particularly the one year lectionary, I, I know I'm more familiar with now. I never really thought too much about the the design of the three year lectionary. I, I preached it for five years, but I, I I didn't ever take the time to ask what's really going on there. Um, in terms of overall structure, but I but I think that with the one year lectionary, you do see a helpful scope of doctrine and to- topics in the scriptures, right? So th- it's helpful to know that that generally things are not going to be left out. You know, like we talked we talked about you know predestination perhaps being uh, under preached, and and maybe that's not so much due to the fact that it's not in the lectionary, but that just we just don't do a good job of preaching it because it does, you know, it does it does show up in like when we're when we're doing the Good Shepherd and my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, right? Like you can you can preach about predestination then, um, and sure. that's helpful about the one year lectionary that it it's going to cover maybe not all of the scripture, but it's going to cover a wide range of topics and doctrines that that we need to hear. And the comprehensiveness of it, yeah, is absolutely. And especially because it ends up, especially in the one year, having a kind of a catechetical effect to it as well, right? That you end up hearing similar topics at similar times of the year in in a repeated kind of way so that we are reminded of, you know, what it is that God's word says. And if some things don't get as much attention as they should, well, those that can be remedied. Um, But we at least get the, the solid basics of of, of what we need kind of a thing. Well, what about, and I'll ask this of your own personal experience, especially with lectionary preaching, because, you know, we typically have three readings. Do you have a habit of combining those readings to kind of talk about, you know, whatever the topic is at hand? So, you know, you pull something from each, or do you have a habit of focusing on just one in particular? I, I don't really have a habit. I find that they usually fit together in a way that, that makes them all accessible in the sermon. But I, I would say that when I come to the lectionary for a Sunday, it's not always obvious to me from the outset where I'm going to begin, you know, like which which reading is going to be the starting place. But then in studying them, it's usually the case that one of those readings really kind of uh, or, you know, a passage or one one topic from one of those readings really stands out. And then then I mean, it's a fun project to to weave them together and see how they support and, and complement each other. Sure. Yeah. I only ask because this is kind of a, an ongoing debate between Willie and myself. He's not able to be with us here today, you know, press F for Willie, but Willie likes to weave together like like you were suggesting. I tend to focus on one reading in particular. 
but then again, I don't know if that's just the way I, I approach things or my personality flaws or benefits <laughs> or I don't know. Take of it as what you will. Now, it, it, am I correct that you um, you kind of cycle through which reading you focus on from one year to the next, or is that is there some pattern there? Yep, I do. Um, I'm in the midst of an, what I call my epistle year, and I've been exclusively preaching on the epistles on Sunday morning, and that is challenging in itself because that forces me to to sit down and really wrestle with the epistle at hand. But I find it to be beneficial because I like to focus on, like I say, the individual reading and really talk about, you know, what does this mean? What is its context? That sort of thing. So take make of it what you will. Have you found that preaching on one of the readings as opposed to the others is more difficult? Like is is the gospel the easiest one to to preach on? Or is it is it hmm. very That's a great question. I think it depends on the Sunday. Yeah. Because some some texts just kind of write themselves, you know, especially when you're you're doing this more topical kind of thing. I think the epistles can be a little bit challenging because especially in the one year they have a habit of focusing on the exhortation parts of of the epistles in question. You know, they have a a habit of focusing on like, you know, be renewed or something like that. And so there is that sense in which you're kind of always focusing on the conclusions mm-hmm. <laughs> of of an epistle and that's challenging in itself, but um overall I, I find great benefit out of all of them. I really enjoyed my Old Testament year. That was that was a great year for me. So I like the Old Testament. So there you go. <laughs> but okay, well then let's take one more question here as we're coming to the end of this segment. Uh, how would you compare the two styles of preaching since you do both? I mean, what would you say? Do you prefer one to the other? Do you find one to be... Harder than the other. I mean, how would you how would you rate them in your own experience? Yeah, I, the the first thought that comes immediately to mind is when when you're doing lectio continua, you're you're sort of like it's ongoing preparation, right? So, right. Um, there's this great benefit to regularly reading the book as a whole, right? And that's possible with Paul's epistles. So I could read the entirety of Philippians on the regular as I'm preparing, and then it's just like continual preparation, right? Whereas the preparation for a Sunday ends up being much more discreet. Now, now that I say that, though, um, I have really been glad for the times that my preaching from one Sunday to the next has has been more continual, where like it's easier to draw a connection between the sermon from one Sunday to the sermon the next Sunday. Like like we get during the beginning of Lent, you know, we get this nice progression from the temptation of Jesus through uh, through the end of Lent, and that progression lends itself to kind of continual preparation. Like you have to, in some sense, you have to think about the whole scope of Lent while you're, while you're beginning to preach, but that's not always the case with the lectionary, especially during the Pentecost season. It's, you know, it's one here and one there and um, much, (laughs) much more discreet, right? Yeah. Trinity's all over the place. Yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. Especially as the further along you go in Trinity, the worse it gets in my opinion. Cause uh, like when you get down to say like, uh, Trinity 26, which almost never occurs in the regular cycle, you can tell that it just kind of became almost an afterthought. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. There could be another Sunday here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but not not trying to disparage the Trinity season by any means. It is still God's word. But there is in a sense in which the scheme, you know, 
it has its strengths, it has its weaknesses, absolutely. And I know that in my own experience too, like I I enjoy both styles of preaching for different reasons. You know, it is nice to be able to get up and to talk about, okay, this is what God's words has to say about this topic, or this is what God's word has to say about this topic or whatever, or here's how we can really draw something out of this one particular, even isolated passage of scripture. You know, there is benefit to that, mm-hmm. but there is also a great benefit to just being able to say, okay, what is Paul's complete argument in this letter, for example, or what is the whole book of Malachi have to say to us today and not just the little bit that we get here and there in the lectionary, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that before we go to break? No, this is good. All right. Sounds good. We'll be right back then with more Word Fitly Spoken. Back to Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Zellan Heidi here with David Bukes talking about preaching, different styles of preaching, midweek services, the whole gambit. So, David, we finished in the previous section talking about, you know, lectionary style preaching. We've talked about lectio continuous style preaching, uh, the benefits of both, the challenges of both. Why are we focusing on this topic? You know, why is this such an important thing to, to think about? What would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's related to one of the questions that came into my mind when I first considered preaching another sermon uh, during the middle of the week. I thought about it and I and I and I discovered that I was, <laughs> you know, while I was hesitant, I realized, no, this is what I this is my job is to preach is to preach. And so, you know, why not preach more? The the tasks that pastors might busy themselves with, proclaiming God's word um, to to the open ears of their people, nothing is more important. I mean, nothing even comes close. And so thinking about how we do that and and basically how we can do more of that really is a is a fruitful thing to think think through. Absolutely. Would you say that I mean, what well, how would you how would you relate what we've been talking about to the preaching task itself? I mean, how would you I mean, we've talked about preaching more, that's one thing, but how does how does say like lectio continua preaching benefit that preaching task? How does lectionary preaching benefit that task? You know, how do we, how do we tie this all together in our calling as preachers? Does that make sense? It, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's a self-consciousness about the fact that our, our task as pastors is bound up with receiving from God what he says in his word, and then dispensing that to his people, applying that to his people. Um, and so when we think about like what that looks like, what kind of a lectionary you're going to use or what are the texts that you're going to choose um, and when are you going to preach and, and under what circumstances. Um, that's all, those are all the necessary questions that a, a pastor needs to take up because 
he's he he's not for anything else. <laughs> so you know, thinking through the lectionary is is kind of like the basic quite or like what kind of a lectionary you're going to use is the basic question of what is God's word that I'm going to that I'm going to speak on. You know, what what is God's word for these people? Yeah, and would you say now? Okay, let's maybe take up an immediate kind of objection to this, just kind of off the top of my head. Somebody might say, if I'm preaching more, that's going to be a burden or something like that. It's going to be just too much of a a, a drudge, and I, I really almost almost to the point of where people kind of dread preaching. I mean, what would you say to that sort of a situation? You know, how is what we've talked about answer that sort of a question? Maybe answer is not the right word for it, but it it does reveal um, our weakness. If I dread preaching, then I'm not sure what I'm doing as a pastor. You know, or if I if I don't have anything to say, or if I think that God doesn't have anything to say to these people, then my ears are not open, right? So, and that certainly happens. I don't mean to say you know just wagging the finger at anybody who who's ever felt that way i certainly have you know come up to a text and felt cold and listless about it and come to a sunday morning and and enter the pulpit and felt like it, i was you know there's the air is flat but that's that's owing to my own frailty my own weakness you know and my own lack of discipline my own um despising of god's word right so the the solution is basically to care more about God's word. And how do you learn to care more about God's word except by spending more time with God's word, which is why, <laughs> you know, t- the, the, the cure for the, the cure for uh, thinking of preaching as a drudgery is to preach, you know, uh, right. and to study God's word, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. And then, yeah, and again, we're not trying to, to like come down hard on somebody who's had those, as you call them, flat moments, because we've all experienced them, right? Where you just it feels like you're flailing around in the pulpit and you're not really accomplishing anything. But those are also the times I find where people really get something out of the sermon. So that's kind of the, the, the Holy Spirit's humor, I think. But, but I mean, just, just, just the very idea that, you know, we are preachers. This is what we have been called to do. I mean, God's word itself says, you know, how can they hear unless without someone preaching? How blessed are the feet of those who preach the good news? I mean, there is something central to the task of preaching that we cannot overlook and we should not overlook. And if anything, we should be encouraging it as as much as we can. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's a. I think that maybe our terminology often gets confused because the reality is we do a lot of preaching. Um, any pastor who's doing the ordinary tasks, you know, visiting, counseling, talking with parishioners, teaching Bible study there's preaching happening i mean e- even in your own home right so every father is a preacher to his wife and children as you uh, so you're you're engaged in this task constantly even with your life your conduct is a reflection of god's holy name and so in some sense when we are wary about or uncertain or are hesitant about like preaching with you know scare quotes around it, it's just because we've thought of it as something perhaps too different from what we do all the time and what we should be doing all the time. Sure, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I know that when we've when I've struggled with this sort of a thing, and, you know, when I've had those moments of, I guess you could call it desertion or kind of this spiritual flatness, the way out of it often was to just be in the word. And to really talk through these things and to work and to be where our life comes from. 
and preaching in that sense, and let's let's say preaching in the the formal sense, like in the pulpit kind of a thing, is just an outgrowth of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, what else do we want to say about the task of preaching itself? Then, you know, where where do we go from from that point? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always this tendency to fall into ruts and to to feel like uh, you've you found habits and patterns that, when you've grown accustomed to them, make you feel like you don't need to work as hard or that you've made it or whatever that you can recycle thing, material, whatever it might be. Um, and I think that the more we can do to avoid those kinds of ruts and not challenge ourselves in the sense of like self-improvement, but really, I mean, challenge ourselves as pastors to take up again and again and again with vigor, the task in front of us, that's a really good, that's a really good thing and necessary for us. You know, it's like raising children, you know, I know I know lots of parents who have thought about raising their children as being kind of a momentary thing so that, uh, you know, they there was this there was this time in their life when they were really devoted to parenting their children because there was some challenge or some uh, peculiar thing that they loved about that time in their kid's life. And they just don't think about the rest of the time, you know, or they didn't manage to grow up with their children. Right. Like change their parenting, adjust, adapt their parenting as their children grew. And all of that is part and parcel of, of, of being a pastor, of being a father of of these children. And that means constant attentiveness to how you're parenting them, constant, constant attentiveness to how you are addressing them. They're not the same. They don't stay the same. If you're not preaching to just kind of a nebulous, faceless crowd. And if you are, if you think you are, then there's more work to do in knowing who your people are. Um, but if if they're not nameless and faceless, then the, the, the need, the task of preaching is ongoing and requires constant adaptation, constant growth. And I mean, I, to me, I, 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 I say that and I instantly feel like maybe that sounds too onerous, but then I, I, I can't help but get really excited about it because that's exactly what God's word equips us to do. You know, it's like you, you said, um, when you're feeling flat, uh, there's the, the, the cure is to be in God's word. And it's not, it's not a cure. Like, you know, you've got some infection and you take amoxicillin and it makes your tummy hurt a little bit. And then you, then you finally get over it. But it's like, no, um, th- I I'm, I'm hungry and here's a stinking feast. And when uh, you just, you, you just breathe in the aroma and it and it strengthens you and that's the way God's word works. Sorry if that was a little bit too florid of an analogy there, but that's I mean that's the great gift we've got and that and I our I'm speaking autobiographically here, but it's like the times that I've struggled have been the times that I just didn't believe that God meant it when He said His word is truth and that He'd sanctify me with His truth. You know? Yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you. No, it's it's not too florid. Don't worry. Well, I mean, even even the word itself says, you know, that there are times when we need milk. You know, that there there is that time of initial growth when we are still babes. But there is also times when we move on to meat, right? We move on to the solid things, and we need those things too. We can't stay on milk forever. So yeah, there's absolutely that need to adapt ourselves to the needs of the congregation. Uh, to be diligent in visiting that sort of thing, to be diligent in learning who, you know, where these people are in their spiritual growth. You know, that's all part and parcel of being a pastor, but it all centers on the primary task of proclaiming the word of God. Right. I, that's right. what we're trying and, to drive home. Yeah. And being, and being conscientious about that task, which is, which is, you know, what happens when you think about what texts you're preaching you know, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's one way at it or a necessary way at it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in the last part of our episode for today, then David, let's talk about 
of just having an additional service. You know, this is something that we've both done. You know, we've talked a little bit about the benefits of it already. Can you kind of rehash what those benefits are? Yeah, I mean, the the basic benefit is a greater opportunity for people to hear God's word, an additional opportunity. Um, anytime people are willing to hear God's word, we should not generally, unless, unless they're being unreasonable, <laughs> we should not decline to share God's word with them. So that's one thing. I mean, and then there's the benefits for the pastor of, of disciplining him to, to do the work that God has given him. And those two benefits alone are, are enough, I think, to, to, really, to really say that it's something worth considering. Do you ever feel any regret for having an extra service? Just I don't. Just on a personal level? No, no. I mean, I don't know whether this is cheating or, or not, but, you know, the way that I think about it is my, my, I do family devotions with my family, right? So if I right. wasn't in the pulpit at church at seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening, I would be at home preaching to my kids. And so we might as well do it as a congregation, you know? So I actually, I actually think about it as con- kind of continuous with our, our family life and, and well, and, you know, when I bring my family over, it doesn't matter if anybody else shows up because we, you know, they, they fill a pew. And so that's so right. all good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't regret it. And actually, I'm very thankful that it's there as a fixture in our, in our, um, in our congregational life. Sure. Would you say there are any challenges that have been associated with having a midweek service? Just to be perfectly frank. Yeah. The, the challenges w- would be um, the risk of, of being unprepared. That, that's one challenge. Um, and that's a reason not to be innovative in the liturgy at all. I mean, that's a reason to have everything but the, but the preaching be, you know, fixed and certain. The, uh, another challenge is, you know, maybe more to do with uh, insecurity, right? So like, what if people don't show up? Or like, what if people stop coming? What if they get bored with it? You know, and, and none of those are real challenges. They're just kind of like facing the, facing the, the, the risk of anxiety, I guess, um, that might, might accompany doing, doing extra work and then not having anybody <laughs> want to benefit from it. Um, sure. yeah, really, um, I, I, those are the, those are the main challenges I can think of. I mean, if you've got, if you, if you want to provide music that can be, that can make an additional challenge, but I have found that people are extraordinarily adaptive. You know, if, if you don't have your organist, uh, and you got somebody who can sing acapella, you know, who can lead acapella singing, you're fine. Or you can speak the liturgy. It's, and, and actually, I mean, this, not to, not to get away from challenges, I think this is one of the great benefits too, is that while I am all for reverence and respect in the liturgy, I think it's very helpful for us to learn that, that we can worship, uh, have a liturgy, conduct the liturgy, and people can follow along with very little preparation. It doesn't, there doesn't need to be a lot of hoopla for us to gather in the sanctuary and have a fine service, you know? And that's one of the things that you learn when, when you're doing two services a week, it's like, no, we're just going to do the thing and it's going to be good. You know, <laughs> it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I know with like my own experience too. Yeah. That anxiety can sometimes be there. And I think that was especially true at the beginning when, you know, when you're first getting going with it, and especially if, if, if it's new to the congregation, that can always be a challenge especially or if you're trying to adapt something that's already there and if people kind of have preconceived notions about what it already is you know that can be challenging too but those are certainly things that can be overcome right well let's let's ask the question then why should the pastors in our list among our listeners why should they consider having this extra service I, yeah i think that they may find that it it is well received that it meets um, a need that they didn't recognize 
for, for instance, the need that people have to hear God's word more than just once a week um, and the desire that they actually have to do that. So that's one of the ways that I've framed the Wednesday evening service. I, you know, it's nice that people people don't feel a compulsion about it, but they know that it's there. And so they, when, you know, it's not so much like when we have time, we'll show up, but it's, thank goodness we have time because we, we can go to church, you know, and we want to go to church. So I think that pastors will find that, that there, there are people who take advantage of it, who are benefited extraordinarily by it. I think that for any, any pastor who finds himself saying, I just don't know if I can hack it, you can, because this is what God has called you to do. And, and it would be good for you and your congregation. It would, it would be, you would, I think I, 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 I don't want to make promises like that are beyond what I can guarantee, but I would say I, I'm nearly certain that you would have find a net benefit from it and, and not regret it. Well, even if let's say, I mean, I, I can pretty much guarantee that, you know, your Wednesday crowd, except maybe in rare circumstances, is probably not going to be the same as your Sunday congregation. Like generally a midweek service is not going to be as well attended for a hundred different reasons. Right. Unless again, there's exceptions. Maybe, maybe there's something would be different in your case. I'm not, I'm, I just can't speak to it, but that's okay too, because even the ones that do come on Wednesday or even the ones that come on Wednesday only, and that does happen in some cases too, or whatever day of the week that you choose, they're still going to receive that benefit. And I mean, in Christ has promised to be where two or three are gathered, right? So even if it's just you and your family and the organist, that's still a congregation. <laughs> yeah. There's still a great benefit in that too. Yeah. And, and there's, um, I mean, this element to leading by example, I find that we have so much to learn. I think there's something about our, the present state of our culture, the, our, um, what we've lost over the last, you know, hundred years in terms of how we think about education and our heritage and, um, attentiveness to the things that matter that there's so much we have to learn and so many things that we have forgotten how to do. But the more time we as pastors can spend leading our people at, by example and just just demonstrating for them, this is like, you know, even the simple things of like, this is how you pray. And this is how you, this is how you read God's word. This is how you read it aloud. This is how you think about it. This is how you care for your family with God's word is by sitting them at the feet of Jesus and having them having them be attentive to his, his words, the more we can lead in those examples by example, the better, which is why, which is why, you know, the pastor who's apprehensive and I'm, you know, my, myself included, who lets his apprehension about, you know, nobody showing up, get the better of him is going to have all kinds of trouble because people can perceive that apprehensiveness. And like, on the other hand, if you just do it, <laughs> if you just do it uh, because it's good, people will see that you're doing it because it's good and they will, appreciate that. At least those who uh, appreciate good things, <laughs> you know, right. they will, they will, they will appreciate that. And, and, and that's the great, the great gift that we have from our savior is that he doesn't, he doesn't say, um, look, I want you to persuade everybody, but he's, he says, I want you to keep my word and I'm going to take care of the rest. <laughs> and, uh, and it happens that way. So. Indeed. Indeed. And one thing that I would maybe suggest to, uh, to the pastor who would be considering doing this is is to actually you know preach a different sermon from what you would do what you would do on Sunday morning to actually preach two sermons a week and the reason i say that is because if you just start a midweek service and it ends up being just 
Sunday part two, you will get some who will still come. Yes. And that's still beneficial. That's still good. But people might get the notion that, oh, well, I don't need to go to that service. I don't need to be in the word because I've heard it already. Yeah. And I think that that can be a kind of a, a slippery slope to be falling down. You know, there should be an opportunity to hear more of God's word and, you know, to, to bring more of the whole counsel of God to the congregation and especially do it in a way that, you know, would, would be attractive to more of the congregation. Does that make sense? Yeah. More obviously useful to them. Right. I think that that, I, that was a big part of when in, in the fall, when, when I switched from doing a repeat of Sunday morning to uh, uh, preaching through Philippians, I made the point that this is going to be a different service and people really, they, and a different sermon. And the pe- people picked up on that. They were, they paid attention to that fact and, and recognized that I wasn't doing something just for people who didn't come to church on Sunday morning, which is what it would feel like. You know, it's right. like, I'm just doing this for you guys who didn't show up. Um, but instead I'm doing this for everybody. I'm doing for this for the whole congregation. So you're all invited to participate in it and that I, people are sensitive to that and, and appreciate it. So, yeah, no, I'm, I think it'd be a great benefit for any, any pastor who would like to, to consider doing this, but well, David, is there anything that you want to say in closing before we end the episode for today? No, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to think through all of these things. You know, there's, there's so much that we do as pastors that is worth uh, pausing and slowing down and reflecting on and being and being deliberate about and certainly you know how we preach and the occasions we preach um, is not the least of those things and so I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it today I'm glad to have the conversation this has been a word fitly spoken if you like what you heard check us out wordfitlyspoken.org facebook.com slash wordfitly or twitter at wordfitly I'm Zelwyn Heidi here with David Bukes God love you and God bless you